intense, right? That's a, that's like one of the most intense bumper music I've ever heard. It's it gears up for some stuff. Welcome, those of you who are joining us today, uh, either online or in person. So glad that you're here and joining us. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. I'm so grateful for uh, that role and serving alongside of so many of you. I have to tell you, uh, and and I mean this from from the bottom of my heart. We have. Uh, some of the best people who serve as shepherds here. We have some of the best people who serve as uh, lead team members here, uh, and and it's it's great to be able to serve alongside of them. I count that as as just a blessing. And we have so many great partners here uh, that we get to do uh, wonderful things, like we talked about, day for good in, in the community. And so I, I'm grateful. I want to let you know I'm grateful for those opportunities to be able to do those things alongside so many of you. It's just a great experience uh, and time together, growing together and being more like Christ. Um, how many of you, on the count, we'll do this. On the count of three, I want you to shout out your favorite restaurant, okay? On the count of three, shout out your favorite restaurant. I won't shout mine because your ears will blow off, but I, I have one in my head. So on the count of three, ready? Shout it out. One, two, three. Did somebody say Taco Bell? I swear, I swear, that was my, that was my own child. Uh, lead a child in the way they should go. Uh, have you ever invited somebody to the, your, your favorite restaurant? You're like, hey, you have got to check this place out. Have you ever invited somebody to your favorite, to eat with you at your favorite restaurant, right? Because you were so pumped about it, and I want to let you know, you can do that with your church too. You could do that with your church, too. And so uh, some of y'all are like, oh, I fell right into that one. Um, you did. You did. You went right along with me. I'm just letting you know, listen, we, we are um, excited, not about what we do, but what God does through us. And if, if you are a part of that mission here at Wellhouse, we would love for you to invite somebody else to join you in that because we believe that God's doing incredible, mighty things and if it's, if it's incredible and mighty to you, then invite a friend and have them join with you. Let me ask you another question. This one might be equally as strange or maybe stranger, but has anybody ever told you that your breath stinks? <laughs> they have. All right, good. That's good. And, and it may have, and some of you are like, no, never. And, and it might look like this. It might look like, hey, would you like a mint? All right. They were, they were being kind when they were offering like, hey, would you like a piece of gum? Uh, and that's because sometimes every once in a while, you might be able to smell like, man, I ate some really strong garlic and that's kind of rough, you know, and so now everybody has to eat garlic so nobody can tell who the culprit was or whatever. But most of the time, most of the time, you don't know when your own breath stinks. Did you know that? Most of the time, you don't know when your own breath stinks. It's hard to tell. And so it's nice if you have a really good friend who you can trust. And sometimes my wife will do this to me or I will do this to her. And she'll be like, does my breath stink? You know, and then, and then I have to be the guy who's like, I love you and yes. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about a topic 
that's kind of along those lines. I'm not talking about oral hygiene or anything like that, but we're talking about an idea that as we kind of close out this series together, this, this series at war where we're talking about the war of, of idolatry that we don't oftentimes know that we're in a daily battle for our heart and our mind. Uh, we, we don't wake up with that mindset most of the time, and yet most of our day we're under attack by something that wants to take control of our mind and our heart. And today's topic is probably one that is the most prevalent uh, for, the, for the majority of us in the room today or those of us who are listening online today. And I'll be tempted. Today you might be like uh, bumping your partner or bumping the person next to you or texting you know, somebody like, I hope you're listening to today's message, right? You're going to send this out to a coworker or a boss because today's message is the idol of being right. Today's message is on the idol of being right. I have a, uh, and most of the time, we think we are right. And it's hard to tell when we're not. And somebody might come along and say, have you, have you really thought about, and you're like, no, 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 it's kind of like bad bread. Like, no, I, that, that, that doesn't affect me. That's, and that I promise that I'm good, right? Sometimes, I believe it or not, you are wrong. And I know that's a hard pill to swallow. One of my, one of my uh, good friends and a mentor of mine, Randy Harris, several years ago, uh, talked to me about this idea of being right. And he said this, and it stuck with me because, man, there's so much truth to it. He said this, do you know what it's like to feel wrong? Do you know what it's like to feel wrong? It feels right. Because every time you discover that you're wrong, you're right again. So we continually live in this state where we think that we're right, and then as soon as we discover, oh, no, 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 I was mistaken, now I'm right again. So I never live in a state of feeling like I'm wrong. I always live in a state of feeling like I'm right. And there's truth to that. Now, none of us in this room would ever say I'm 100% right all the time, but most of the things that we do show that we actually do live that way. And here's the truth, that when being right is an idol, you'll be blind to the times when you're wrong. When you live life with an idol of being right, man, I want to be right. I, you know, I, I value being right. I can't stand it when, when somebody proves me wrong. Then we're just going to be blind to the fact of the times when we're wrong. And the problem with this is, if I were to ask you today, you know, are, are you wrong in any given circumstance? Have you been wrong this week? You know, sometimes it takes a little while. It takes hindsight for us to see, oh, yeah, I made a big mistake there. And we can often admit mistakes way, way back in the past. But man, is it hard to admit in the present, isn't it? It's hard to admit in the present. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the, the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. We're going to read a story. This is a Jesus story, and he's actually going to teach a parable. But the parable is teaching to a point, as Jesus always does. And we're going to see the crowd of people around who he's trying to make the point to. This is Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. This is what he says. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, and look down on everyone else. 
This is the crowd. This is the group of people. This is who he's getting ready to teach to. This is a crowd of people who looks at themselves and says, I got it right. And everybody else, they're just a bunch of knuckleheads, right? Everybody else can't seem to figure it out. Everybody else is wrong on the subject, and I have gotten it right. In fact, so much so that I'm really confident about it. I live that out. I'm, I'm able to express how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. So to this group of people, Jesus teaches a parable. But it's worth mentioning before we move on that there's an, a danger in the idol of being right. There's a danger in, in the idol of being right. And that's this. When being right is an idol, you'll be tempted to choose pride over people. You'll be tempted to choose pride over people. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. You can secretly nod or wink at me or whatever it is, if it identifies with you. Just don't wink at me after, because that's real weird. But right now is okay. <laughs> but have you ever known you were wrong and somebody caught you in it and they exposed your wrongness, but you had to hold up as though you were right, even though you knew flat out you were not right. Have you ever been there before? Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are winking or may have something in your eyes. Some of you are like, no, never. You were wrong, okay? You just, you just weren't aware of it. Man, there have been times in my life. Seriously, this is so weird. There have been times in my life where I knew I was wrong, and I was, I was chosen pride over somebody else because I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. I was hanging on to it as though if hanging on to it would eventually make it right or I would save some kind of face. But the truth of the matter is it never happens that way, does it? You go down the road far enough that you kind of, you, you lose credibility with people. And that's what happens when we choose the idol of right. And this is, this is what happens as we set up the scene here is that there's a group of people who think they're right. And because they think they're right perpetually, they look down on everybody else. And when you begin to elevate yourself around everybody else, it's really easy to begin to choose pride over people. This is the danger of the idol of being right. And so Jesus teaches a parable. The parable is, is, is not a true story, but it's something that runs up along a truth so we can better help understand it. And this is what he says. There were two men that went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, the Pharisees kind of have this long-standing tradition at the time when Jesus is telling the story. What happened in the history of Israel, the history of, of God's people, is, of course, in Genesis chapter 12, God establishes this relationship with Abram, then changing his name to Abraham. And he says, listen, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless all kinds of people everywhere because of you and through you. Even though you don't have any descendants right now, you're going to have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them all. And so God begins to bless Abraham and bless the people through Abraham. And even though they spend time in Egypt and slavery, God continues to bless them. Their numbers grow, and eventually they come into the promised land. But if you know anything about the, the nation of Israel, then you know that they have a really hard time following God. 
for a while. They do it really, really well. And then eventually they slip up and they start doing things that they feel is right to them. And God has to get their attention. And he gets their attention through multiple different ways, none of which any of us would ever want. Eventually what happens is they build a temple and and the temple gets demolished, right? And they all go into exile and they're trying to learn their lessons so they get to go back and and go back to their, their homeland again, their promised land again, and they rebuild a second temple. And it's in that time where they've been in and out of exile and they've watched people that they know and love die and perish and, and, and God has, has tried to get their attention multiple, multiple times in ways that we wouldn't want. Where this group called the Pharisees begins to emerge. And the, the word Pharisee in Hebrew really means selected one or, or one that's kind of separate than everybody else. And the understanding or the idea of the Pharisees is is that they were trying to help people say, listen, if we just kind of do what God says, then maybe we don't have to, you know, go through all the trials that we've gone through before. Maybe we don't have to be exiles again. Maybe we don't have to be slaves again. Maybe portions of us don't have to die again. If we would just follow the rules, if we would just get it right. And so the Pharisees emphasized a few things. The first one is that they emphasized oral tradition, which they argued equaled the written tradition of the Torah. They say, listen, the things that were passed down are good and helpful things. I realize that there's some stuff written down, but there's some other stuff that we just kind of know and understand in life. Those should be valuable too. So let's live life congruent with those things. The second thing is that they extended Jewish practices or or Jewish religion outside of the temple. So imagine this. I know this is going to be super hard for you to believe right now, but there, there might be people who come to church and act one way, and then they leave church, and they might act a different way. I know it's hard to believe. My children might be a few of these folks. I might be one too sometimes where they would show up to temple and they would participate in the practices of a Jewish theology. And then they would leave and act like it wasn't important anymore. And the Pharisees said, no, 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 no. God kind of wants you to live congruent. It's important to him. So what you do in the temple should be what you do throughout the rest of the week. This is important for us to live a lifestyle devoted to Christ. Another thing that they did was they instilled a a greater piety of of everyone. So they're basically calling people to a holier lifestyle. They're calling people to a a more religious, a more spiritual lifestyle. And they're saying, listen, God doesn't want just, just, you know, that, that, the basic that you give him, he, he wants you to be holy, like he's holy. And so they're calling people to a higher standard. And then they begin promoting belief in the afterlife, that, that what is happening here on earth is not the end-all, be-all, but that there's something after this life, and that it's important for us to live into that. Now let me ask you something. Are any of those ideas bad? Would you disagree with any of them fundamentally on on the kind of the baseline, right? So their ideas were good. Their ideas were good. But here's what happens in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. That's his prayer. Anybody see anything wrong with that? Right? It's, it's, it, seems, it seems like all of a sudden his prayer shifted to everybody else, didn't it? It kind of, he was eager to point out the flaws of everybody else. I don't know about you, but I don't have to stretch too far to see that kind of in play in our everyday society. Do you, do you see that anywhere? Where we're super eager to point out the flaws of everybody else because we must be getting it right. Jesus continues on his parable. He says this, but the tax collector, notice this posture. Where was the Pharisee? You remember? Look at it. It's right there in front of you. Where was he at? Where was he standing? In the temple. Notice this. The tax collector, this is he stood at a distance. It's, it's, it's like he's saying, you know what? I don't even know if I'm worthy to approach God. And he says, he wouldn't even look up into heaven. But he beat his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me a sinner. This prayer has been around uh, for a long time and actually has been used by many different groups of people as this centering prayer. And what's happened is people have repeated this prayer over and over again. You might have heard it. It goes like this, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And people have used that in, in what's called reverse depletion, where they, they would pray it over and over again, but as they would kind of pray it, they would leave off the last word, and then they would allow God to speak into that. So it's maybe, it's Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. And they leave off the rest, and they realize, man, God has had mercy on me, so who is he calling me to have mercy on now? Or Lord Jesus Christ, have and then the blank is, man, what do I need to give to God that I'm holding on to so hard, so much, that he just needs to have it? And so we've used this prayer for many different people throughout a long, long time. I've used this prayer as a centering prayer to help us understand our relationship with God. And this is exactly what this guy is doing. He's saying there's a relationship here that I recognize is not right, and it's not the fault of God. It's my fault. I'm the one in the wrong. I'm not looking at anybody else. I'm not saying, man, that guy's doing it wrong or that person over there has not got it straight. What he's doing is he's saying, listen, I recognize there's a holy God and I'm fooling myself if I think I've got this all figured out. See, you don't base your rightness on a comparison with anybody else but God. This is what happens when we rest on the idol of being right is that we tend to compare ourselves to somebody else in the room. And it's always easier to find somebody else who's a bigger knucklehead than you, isn't it? And we can point them out and say, man, at least I don't do X, Y, or Z. 
In fact, a lot of times what we'll do, listen, I'm not trying to call you out, but a lot of times what we do is we will surround ourselves with a group of people who think and feel like us so that it will help us justify the areas of our life that we know aren't right. We'll get a group of people around us and we'll say, now listen, I know that I do this, but it's not really that bad. I mean, I should be justified in that. And they'll say, oh yeah, of course. Of course you should feel that way. Of course you should act that way. Of course it's okay to treat that person that way. After all they've done to you, after all they said to you, after all the way they treated you, of course, of course it's okay to do those things. Now, I know how you grew up. I know how you were treated. I know what you went through. Of course it's all right. And the danger is, is that if we act like the Pharisees, we're going to point the finger at everybody else and say, listen, they're the ones that get wrong. And here I am. I must be all right. And as Jesus teaches us this parable, what he wants us to understand it is, it's not a comparison. Our rightness isn't a comparison with everybody else. When we get it the most right is when we say, listen, God, man, I am so not worthy, but you love me anyway. So help me be more like you. The most right you'll ever be is when you acknowledge the holiness of God and your dependence upon him. It's not enough really for us to stop right there, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified for God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. Have you ever been there before? You ever thought things were going really, really well, and then they went really, really bad? Yeah. <clears throat> I remember, I was just telling this story um, earlier this week, and I, I don't remember who I was telling this to, but... I remember I thought I was father of the year when my oldest child was born. Have you ever had one of the oldest children that was like, man, this is kind of a cakewalk? <clears throat> Some of you are like, no, I've never had that experience. <clears throat> she was two and a half years old. I'll just leave names out, but if you know our family, you'll know. Anyway, our oldest child was two and a half years old, and I thought, all right, it's time to go potty train. And potty training looked like this. It was about a three-minute conversation in the bathroom, and I said, listen, Dad's kind of sick and tired of doing the whole diaper thing. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is work. And so from here on out, you're just going to use the potty. If you need to poop or pee, you're just going to go in there. We're going to take care of business and no more diapers. And she was like, yes, Dad. Okay. I promise you, this is not a preacher story. That's exactly what happened. There was no more accidents from that day. Seriously. And I thought to myself, people make this so hard. People make this so hard. All you have to do is tell your child what you want them to do, and they will do it. But we make it so hard by bribing kids and buying them gifts and giving them M&Ms and pulling out the potty chairs. All the, if you just tell them what you want, they will do it. And then I had another child. And I thought I was never going to potty train that child. <laughs> Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And we can laugh about that story, but there's some times, listen, there's some times in your life where it's not so funny, is it? Where God had to humble you 
so you could see an area of your life that wasn't right. And, the, and the, here's the thing. You get the choice to learn from it. You, you get the choice to say, all right, listen, I'm well aware, and so I'm going to work on that area. Or you can say, no, 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 I'm justified in it. I'm to every, all of my friends say it's, it's good. The people who support me say it's all right to feel that way. He will, just, he will humble those who exalt themselves. So what do we do if we recognize that there's some areas in our life where, where being right tries to take the throne of our mind or our heart? How do we, how do, we do that? And I think the first step for us is to really just embrace humility. To, to, to take the example of, of the tax collector in this, that, that he takes the approach that, man, I serve holy and righteous God. Have you thought about this today, that we get the opportunity to open up the words of life? And does that really hit you today? Like sometimes we'll get on Google and we're like, what is, it, what, is, what is everybody saying about this? Or what is everybody saying about this? We jump on Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, and we kind of catch up on the latest news and, and we take for granted sometimes. I, I take for granted sometimes that I have a, 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 the words of life right before me that I have this holy God that, I, that he's not super far away. Man, he is right here with me taking and embracing humility in our life that maybe maybe I'm not always right in everything that I say I'm not right in everything I do embrace humility and acknowledge your blind spots we all have blind spots in our lives areas of our life where we don't see clearly and those can come in various forms. And some of those things are shaped by our past experiences. Some of those are just shaped by our personality. And Jesus points out the blind spots of the Pharisees more than he does anybody else. In fact, in Matthew 23, he kind of goes off, if you're familiar with that passage, he goes off on a tangent on the Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers. It's something I've never, I've never even heard anybody do before, right? But Jesus gets by with it. And a part of that, Jesus calls them out and he says, listen, you give a ten of all your spices, which is great, but you know what you lack? Mercy, forgiveness, love. <laughs> There's a big blind spot there. And you don't see it because you're so caught up in the areas that you're real proud of, that you don't see that there's some blind spots in your life. You concentrate on the areas you feel more secure in. And so we need people in our lives who will help point us to the areas of our blind spot. Who will say, listen, I'm not so sure. Have you ever thought about this before? You know, I've been noticing the way in which you talk. It's, it's like you're, you're justifying some things in your life. Now, do you have people in your life who will continually do those things that you don't push aside? Ben, if you'll come on up as we kind of close out. A few more thoughts together. The last thing that I think that we can do to kind of dethrone the idol of being right is found in James chapter 1 verse 19. About four years ago, our family committed to uh, learning and reciting from memory uh, the, the book of James. It was um, 
I, I, I would love to claim that idea as my own. It wasn't. It was my wife's. It was a great idea of hers. And some of those um, passages have really been embedded in my heart um, over the last four years. And it's amazing how Scripture has a way of convicting you, uh, when you when you really absorb it. And one of the things that has stuck out to me from that time, it's, maybe it's a passage that's really familiar to you. It's, it's found in James chapter 1, um, verse 19. And it says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger doesn't bring about the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I don't know about you, but that is not the natural process of Steve, right? If, 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 if there was a natural process of Steve, it would be like quick to sarcasm, right? Uh, pretty slow in thinking, sticks his foot in his mouth a lot, right? I mean, that would be kind of Steve's version of that. And I don't know about you, but what would happen in your life what would happen if your life, if you decided that you were going to kind of shift your paradigm and say, listen, from here on out, what I'm going to do when I feel like I'm right is that I'm going to ask some people who might disagree with me, and then I'm going to say, here's what I've been thinking about this, or this is what I've been doing. I want to hear from you, so I'm going to let you talk, and I'm going to listen a little bit. Would that change some of the things that happen in your life? Would it make you a little bit uncomfortable? Would it challenge you a little bit? And then when they said something that you're like, no, 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 you don't understand. No, 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 that can't be true. No, I'm there. you've got it all wrong. You remember the second part of that, which is be slow to anger. So you're going to stop and listen and say, all right, I want to hear from you. And when I hear things from you that I don't necessarily agree with, when I hear things from you that challenge me, when I hear things from you that I want to dismiss, I don't like, I don't care for, I don't hear any more of that, instead of being enraged, instead of shutting down, instead of becoming defensive about those things, I'm going to be slow to anger. How would it change your life? See, I've learned in my life that the quest for being right has caused me to die on a bunch of hills that didn't really matter. And it severed relationships that were valuable, that didn't need to be severed. And so I've come to the conclusion that I have no desire to die on a hill that looks nothing like Calvary. I have no desire to die on a hill that looks nothing like Calvary. And this, I believe, is, is where Jesus leads us with this tax collector. And he says, listen, if I'm going to die in anything, it's die to self and live for you. Because what I have to offer isn't as great as what I think it is anyway. And the ideas and the attitudes and the things that I have, if there's anything good in that, it's from you anyway. And so if I'm going to die on a hill, then the hill better look a whole lot like Calvary. See, I think churches can struggle in this too. 
because churches are made up of individuals. And I remember growing up and having so much emphasis on being right about a lot of things that we wound up being a lot like the Pharisees where we, we were really strong in a few areas. But man, we really lacked in loving people well and forgiving people well and showing mercy well. And so it hit me this week that you can be doctrinally right and still be faithfully wrong. You can be doctrinally right and still faithfully wrong. And so here's the challenge, Wellhouse, as we kind of wrap up this series, is that you get the choice to decide in your life what gets to sit on the throne of your heart and your mind. And it can be you, it can be self, it can be entertainment, it can be the idol of control be the idol of family or happiness. It can be the idol of being right, but I can tell you this. Until the, the thing that sits on the throne of your heart and mind is Christ, nothing will feel right. And whatever idol is there will eventually eat you alive because it will never be enough. And that's the beautiful thing about Christ is that he so freely gives that to us. He calls us to the table. Today we get to experience that together. It's a time we call communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. It's, it's, it has several different titles, but it's a time where we get to come together and recognize what Jesus has truly done for us. To recognize that we're not worthy, we haven't done enough right stuff in our whole life to deserve it. But he calls us to the table anyway. And he invites us in to a relationship with him where, where he can be both Lord and Savior of our life. And we need both. And so today on either side in the back, we have tables set up for you. It's a time to come together and commune with God and get right with him. And maybe it looks like, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe it looks like admitting to somebody else today that you were wrong. I mean, technically you might have been right, but the way you handled it was wrong. The thing you said was wrong. And God says in those times, listen, in order for you to be right with me, you have to make yourself right with other people too. So maybe it's a time to commune with others. Maybe it's a time where you ask them to pray and just listen and say, there's some stuff going on and I don't even know what to say, but I just need your prayer. If any of those ring true for you today, then that's what this time is for. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you, but help us love you more. God, we recognize that there is only one good, there's only one right, and that's you. So God, help us die to the idol of trying to be right and allow us just to be faithful in a long obedience to you. God, help us to be people who, who are humble, who are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. God, help us to be people who every day wake up understanding that we're at war, something that's wanting to attack our, our 
mind and our heart and that we're intentional about putting you first in everything we do. And God, we thank you for this time at the table where you call us your children. We get to communion with you and others. We pray over this time. May you, may you not only meet us in this place, but may you transform us and the people that you've called us to be. That's in your name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed at the tables.